Hey guys, it's Mina. Before we get to the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny, which is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app, wanted to remind you to check out KJZ on ESPN Radio weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern with former Super Bowl champion Keyshawn Johnson. You can see on NFL Live. Former National Player of the Year and number two overall pick in the NBA draft, Jay Williams, and acclaimed Sports Center host. Zubin Mahenti. If you miss the show live, you can listen anytime as a podcast wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts is really hoping that the Puppy Bowl accepts remote competitors this year. That's me. Uh, no, that would be Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. And coming off of a, I would say, you know what? It lived up to its billing championship weekend. I, it, it wasn't underwhelming. It wasn't overwhelming. It was just whelming. Uh, I'm delighted to join, to be joined by a guest. Who I, our, whole, our producer, Dan, said you had been on, I can't remember because it's been so long, but it's Shil Kapadia, uh, NFL writer at The Athletic. You can catch him on The Athletic football show Sheila, when was the last time you were on my podcast i don't know it, it's been too long you know i i've been waiting for the call i've been checking my emails my texts <laughs> my dms nothing's uh coming in but you know it's good to finally be back well we the last time i remember seeing you at least was in seattle when we did the bill barnwell live podcast when nemos presented me with a dvoa jersey um last changed in C- seattle now seahawks are no longer the upper echelon, my guests have taught me how to say echelon, of DVOA. Um, and, you know, you no longer cover the team. And it's, so it just feels like a totally different NFL landscape these days. It is. And I'm excited. For, I think it's going to be a wild offseason. Like I, I'm starting to become one of those people who likes the offseason as much as or more than the actual season. Like I'm excited for the next uh, three, four months. What about you? If they told you like, hey, you can only do uh, oh. your podcast either during the season or in the wow. offseason, like that was in your contract with ESPN, what would you choose? Well, it's uh, so varied because some offseasons, like last offseason was Yes, aside from Brady, so Brady signed early on and the Stafford thing, or probably uh, Philip Rivers thing happened pretty quickly, but otherwise it was like pretty quiet. This offseason feels like it could be a lot crazier. And I kind of jumped the gun a little bit saying Matt Stafford's name because that's, of course, the biggest shoe to drop. And it sounds like, based on what my colleague Adam uh, Schefter is saying, that shoe is going to drop pretty quickly. Um, I guess shoe is the wrong analogy. It's more like dominoes than shoes because there's only two shoes and you can't like not multiple shoes can't drop. But the first domino to fall, I think, will be Matt Stafford. But then you're like looking at a number of possible free agent quarterbacks, trades, teams that need quarterbacks with high draft picks, teams that are sounding Ambi- ambivalent about their quarterbacks like the Rams of course the Niners like it it's absolute craziness shield and, and that's what I want to talk about first I want so having you on today to recap the championship games with an eye towards the Super Bowl but before we get to that I want to talk about the upcoming quarterback carousel and I want to talk about that first shoe slash domino Matthew Stafford um I guess let's start here. How good do you think Matthew Stafford is? Because I think that's an important basis for this conversation as we think to which teams should make a run at him. I think the quarterback like landscape in the league right now is very interesting because you have sort of the elite, right? If you can get anybody, a Patrick Mahomes, a Deshaun Watson, whatever, we can name three, four, however many quarterbacks you think, then that's always the goal. The guy who basically, I know this doesn't fit for Watson this last year, but basically yeah. you're going to be in the mix for a playoff spot. Like if you have that guy, he can lift everyone around him. But I feel like the second tier goes from like the number six quarterback to like the number 23 quarterback. And I would put Stafford in that sort of big second tier. And I think among those guys, you have to weigh a lot of different options. I mean, one is how much do you want to spend for them? And then two is what is their ceiling? Because there could be guys in in that second tier. And I think Stafford probably falls in this group that if you look at it, I would probably say he's 
I don't know, maybe around like the 10th or 12th best quarterback in the league, but in the right circumstance, whether it's scheme, supporting cast, offensive line, whatever, that guy can be a top five guy and you can have one of the most efficient offenses in the league. So that's kind of how, how I look at Stafford right now in that group. Yeah, I think he's... Um because I was asked about this recently and, and I gave the same kind of wishy-washy answers you were. I was like, well, it depends on the context. But, you know, I, he's 5 to 15 for me in that range, which, you know, that that's valuable in this league to, to guarantee that you're going to have an at least an above-average quarterback with the ceiling of being in that even top 10. Um, and then to get him, as the acquiring team would in a trade, on a relatively cheap contract right in the low 20s now they're gonna have to probably extend him after a year so you have to take that into consideration um but in that first year he's not costing you a lot of money it's basically teddy bridgewater money for a quarterback who as we just said puts you you can compete for a super bowl with matthew stafford if you have the right roster in my opinion so then you look to the teams that are sort of being rumored to be in contention. It feels like everybody's earmarked him for Indianapolis and you see what, like he just looks like a cult. He just feels like a cult. Like it's so easy to imagine him in a Colts jersey, but also that's a team one Philip rivers is retiring. I feel like I haven't really paid him due. I will at some point this off season, my love for him is well-documented, but um, it's a team that was, you know, has a very good defense, good pieces, great offensive line quarterback away they're picking 21st. Uh, they have $68 million in cap space, have some young players. It makes sense. But Shiel, just because it's a good destination for Stafford, doesn't mean that Detroit isn't picking up the phone when Washington, New England, Denver, San Francisco is picking very high and would also be attractive for Stafford. Would any of those teams call? Like, Do you think any of them are more likely dis destinations based on like the capital they have to give up and also whether they'd be attractive to Stafford than Indianapolis. Yeah. The, the Colts are the, are the team that like they have to 100% find a starting quarterback somewhere. So every conversation, whether it's Darnold or Wentz or Stafford or, you know, any quarterback that comes up, it's like, Oh, the Colts, they like literally don't have a quarterback other than Jacob Eason on their roster. And, and then there are all these other teams, you know, maybe like 10 teams you were just mentioning where it's sort of like, well, they kind of have somebody, but they could look to upgrade that kind of thing. And so the team that comes to mind is just sort of my favorite fit, maybe on both sides is San Francisco. Gross. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. That's because, no, it's it's good. It's good. Sorry, I'm just being a salty Seahawks fan. Keep talking. Sorry. Because you know, if you're Matthew Stafford, you look at the different types of schemes. I, I know, you know, I think some people like the Colts scheme and sort of the the talent there a little bit more than I do. I thought it was fine. I thought, you know, they're a playoff team, but I wasn't wowed by it. But man, if you're Matthew Stafford and you look at it and you say Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl with this team, they've since added Brandon Ayuk, uh, if they can bring Trent Williams back, like the team could be very, very good and an instant contender right away. And I feel like you go there and you just know that the coach is going to maximize your talent and maximize your chances uh, of being really good. You know, the Matt Ryan MVP season comes up all the time oh, with the Fal Falcons like that. You know, if Matthew Stafford went to the Niners, it would not shock me to see him have a season like that because, uh, you know, in that scheme, when you have the talent that Matthew Stafford has, I just think that would be really appealing for him. And also if you're San Francisco, you're already, you know, you, you can either pay Garoppolo what you're paying him in the mid twenties. You actually save money. You would save, I think around $4 million by acquiring Stafford. And of course you have to, you have to trade away a first round pick, but to me, that would be a home run for, for both sides. Yeah. The, Shanahan, the Matt Ryan season, I'd written that down as well because we haven't seen um, Kyle Shanahan with a quarterback like that since then, right? And it calls to mind, this is not, I'm not making this comparison, but often we see these Shanahan tree offenses with quarterbacks who, you know, the, the it's kind of the chicken or the egg. It's not, is this, scheme making the quarterback or vice versa can he elevate it, the scheme and then you see like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay this year where you have that offense and then suddenly you have a quarterback who's really good and I'm not saying Matthew Stafford is Aaron Rodgers I think Matt Ryan is a much better comparison but to inject a quarterback who can use the entire 
like who can make every throw into that offense where suddenly you're not primarily just throwing it into, you know, that 20 yard space in the middle of the field. Suddenly it becomes a lot more terrifying and interesting. Frankly, that's a really good football team with him. Um, it's scary, you know. I, you know, they've got some free agents. They're going to lose some guys. They got to pay Fred Warner this year. But shoot, I mean, and golly, I that they, I, I think probably become favorites in the NFC West with Stafford. Um, now in the competition, you know, they have the twelfth overall pick. Indy's picking twenty first. I think they, if I'm San Francisco, I'm, I, I part with that pick for Stafford. Um, yeah, but I, I, but I'm, I, I part with nine if I'm Denver chill. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't be too precious with these draft picks. Yeah. Denver is an interesting one because I, I think they have sort of a sneaky, interesting roster, you know, yeah. like, like defensively, you know, Fangio is going to get, he's going to maximize whatever talent they have. I, I like, you know, I think his scheme right now is like the best scheme, uh, in the NFL where, you know, even if they can withstand some injuries and if you actually upgrade the talent, their defense could be really good. I thought they were going to be really good coming into the season. They have young wide receivers. I mean, if Cortland Sutton comes back healthy and now you have Judy and Hamler, uh, that's one when, when you mentioned like being able to see Stafford in a Colts uniform, I can kind of see him in a Broncos uniform. Totally. You know? Maybe they do the throwbacks and the uh, the <laughs> orange and blue. And uh, I feel like if Elway were still in charge, I, I mean, I, I'm afraid to think of how many draft picks they might give up because I feel like Stafford would be exactly uh, his type. So uh, I definitely think that's a good name. Can I can I throw you my craziest uh, Stafford idea out there, please? What if if you're the Dallas Cowboys and oh you're boy. and you're having these conversations with Dak Prescott for it feels like, you know, the 19th straight year. I know it hasn't been uh, that long and you just can't come to terms on an agreement and you're thinking, what are we going to do here? Are we going to pay him thirty seven million dollars on the franchise tag next year and then not know what our future holds in twenty twenty two and beyond? Or could we, and this is, uh, you know, this is some outside the box thinking, and I might get something wrong, so please correct me. Or do <laughs> we trade for Matthew Stafford? We have a very good offense. We could definitely be competing in the NFC right away. We're paying him $21.5 million per year over the next two seasons. We can tag Prescott and trade him. So now, like, if you're giving okay. up a first, you can very much get a first back for Dak Prescott. And uh, you have two years and you can actually add to your roster with a little bit more cap space. Well, am I crazy or is no, this a fun outside the box idea? Uh, the tag and trade makes it really interesting because I do think with Stafford, we are talking so much about the cheap, you know, the, the fact that it's only what, 21 and a half, right? So, you know, there's two years left on his deal. So realistically, whatever team acquires him is also if he plays well, going to have to extend him at whatever price Dak Prescott is making. Did, would you agree with that? Like, it, let's say Dak commands $40 million-ish, whatever quarterbacks are making in 2022. Matthew Stafford is going to get paid that as well in probably a year. Um, but, you know, what you're, to be able to get Matt Stafford, have the cheap year, and get a return for Prescott, that is, it's alluring. Um, you know, the team in the NFC East that I thought made a lot of sense, I alluded to this, was Washington. Like, for, I, I like that from Stafford's point of view. Am I crazy? Like, that's an elite defense. Maybe elite's a little strong. Very good defense. Um, they've got, I, I think, a number one in Terry McLaurin. Great running game. Antonio Gibson. Good coaching staff. Um, they've got, you know, they're picking ahead of Indy. And you get to play in the NFC East. I'd rather play in the NFC East than like New England and the AFC East and play, you know, with Buffalo. I agree or disagree? Yeah, no, I think they're they're a big wild card. I think with all these quarterbacks because of everything you just said. I mean, obviously they need someone, and you absolutely can envision a scenario where they upgrade a quarterback and they're a uh, they're a playoff team next year. By the way, I, I would draft Terry McLaurin like uh, unspeakably high in all of I my fantasy drafts. Yeah, so if, if he got a quarterback, me too. Like, please just get, you know, there's always like that one wide receiver where you're like, please just get this guy a quarterback so we can actually oh. see what they're capable of. So uh, now with that, I would say like, I do like their defense, the defensive line. You know, you're young. All those guys are coming back. So you would think they have a high floor. But 
uh, as you've talked about, as we know, there's there's more variance with defense year to year. So it's like, uh, all right, they're probably going to be pretty good. I don't know if they're going to be a top five unit. And their offense, they it still needs a lot of work. You know, I love McLaurin. You still you, you have to decide what you're going to do with Brandon Scherf and, and the offensive line. You need more weapons. But I don't think that's a bad thought. I mean, if you're Washington, you're sort of in this weird spot. You know, do you just target a young quarterback and say, all right, we're going to take our time and uh, groom this guy? Or do you say, we just made the playoffs last year. The division isn't great. If we get Matthew Stafford and like sign a wide receiver, then all of a sudden we're really interesting. So yeah, I think they're a name that absolutely should be mentioned for him. And they've got cap space, draft picks. They've got the two third rounders. I mean, look, this team almost beat Tampa with Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Right. Like that happened. It feels like a fever dream, uh, the Heineke moment, but it, it was real. I lived it. Um, the Heineke Hive was short-lived. So I don't know. I just, there's a lot of interesting teams in the mix. Um, and so so this is going to, you know, this is going to happen. And then I think it'll set off kind of a chain reaction in the NFL. Because if it's, say, Indy, then suddenly we look at Sam Darnold as an option. Uh, a lot of people seem to think the Jets stick by him with and, and do something with the number two, either take quarterback or trade down. I, I don't even really enjoy talking about the Deshaun Watson thing because – he control like you know he's right. not if he for he because of the no trade clause he's not going anywhere unless he wants to and by all accounts he wants Miami which by the way that team would be fire <laughs> um but so I don't want to do the whole guessing game like well how about Deshaun Watson on the Bears like no like Deshaun Watson is going to go where Deshaun Watson wants to go. Um, I think Dak Prescott stays in Dallas, frankly. So I don't like, I like your idea, but beyond that, it doesn't really feel open to speculation. And then, you know, the shield, there's not like the free agent market gets a lot less attractive. You're talking about, you know, your Cam Newtons, your Jameis's, your Ryan Fitzpatrick's, and, you know, I, eh, yeah. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, yeah. The dominoes, like when, when you were mentioning the dominoes, I was like, well, should we start with Watson? But you, I mean, that's a, you make a good point. It's sort of like, I still don't know how, you know, how seriously to take it. Like, cause then the first domino might be who are the Texans going to hire as right. their head coach? And then how's that going to affect him? And then where does he want to go? Where is he comfortable going? And then if it is Miami, do they trade to a, to you? Like there are so many wild things that can happen. Even in my scenario, like I, I was just like, I'm going to take this, uh, you know, this crazy, Cowboys Stafford thing to the next <laughs> level like like couldn't the Colts could it wouldn't Dak Prescott make make sense for a team like the Colts you know a, a young quarterback whom Frank Wright can have him in his system they can sign him to a long-term extension they've been going year by year for the last three years yeah. they can finally have some stability and not have to worry about it so there are all these moving parts where uh you know I don't like to hype it up and say this is going to be like the wildest offseason since we've been <laughs> alive. But uh, it does it does feel like the quarterback stuff is going to be crazy. And I think a lot of it is what we uh, talked about is that there are a bunch of guys who different uh, coaches, GMs will evaluate them differently and say, hey, if we got this guy in our scheme with our weapons right. and our play caller, you know, he could be really good. And another team might say that about a different quarterback. And so even like the compensation parts uh, about these trades or even these contracts are going to be fun to watch. And that that's so important too, because like if a team like Indy goes off the board, like let's say in this game of musical chairs, that's where uh, Matt Stafford ends up sitting. That's a seat that I think a lot of people thought if Philadelphia was to trade once, it was like, okay, well, Frank Reich, that's the guy, right? That makes sense. But suddenly that's out of the picture. And then you start thinking, well, would a trade happen? What do the new coaches think? We don't know. I mean, that with the Jets, for example, um, I, it's so hard for me to speculate as to what they'll do at quarterback because I don't know what everyone in that building now, Robert Sala and Mike LaFerre, pardon me, what they think of Sam Darnold. I think I, my preference would be for them to move on and start fresh with a new quarterback. Um, but I don't know if that's what, you know, they might like Darnold and then they might think, okay, we'll take Sewell, Panay Sewell, or we'll trade down and build around him. Um, but ultimately there's going to be, there's, there's more teams that need quarterbacks than there are Stafford's Prescott's Watson's the big three. I mean, you're looking at, like we mentioned, Denver. I think they should do something. Washington absolutely needs to do something. New England, um, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, possibly Carolina. 
Chicago? Uh, did I leave any teams out that are obviously that need to do something? I th- well, if we assume, I guess that the Saints are gonna stay put. I'm, but I mean, who knows? You know, they don't they don't have a lot of room to work with. Uh, oh. The the, pa- the Panthers, you know, yeah. are they are they tied to uh, Teddy Bridgewater? And and so yeah, there are, it's kind of all these different options. I mean, if you trade for Watson, um, obviously it's a home run. But even like the Darnold aspect of this is very interesting to me because. That's somebody for some of these teams that don't have a lot to spend, you know, like the the yeah. Rams, like like would Sean McVay look at it and say, uh, let's go get Sam Darnold. Let's at least get some competition in here. And if he plays well, then we can figure it out after this season or a team like the Steelers. If Ben Roethlisberger retires, do they look at it? Do do those teams look at a guy like Cam Newton and say no one is paying for, you know, paying him big money? He was in a terrible situation last year. Uh, maybe there is more to work with than his numbers indicate. So there's like the top tier, there's a middle tier, and there's that tier where if you're really, you know, strapped for cap space uh, or cash or whatever, and you want an option, like there still are some options out there where, where you could make a move. Yeah, I think that's really important to note that like, when we talk about, it's not just about the different tiers of quarterbacks, it's also the different tiers of teams in terms of what they can afford and how much maneuverability they have. I mean, you're talking you know, about the the Saints have negative $3 million, $300 million, pardon me, was the joke I was trying to make. It's really 90, actually, which like you don't even really need to make a joke, just say the number. Um, so they can't do anything. They might, so, but but we, we assume they want some competition, right? Um, or the Rams, I think, will also fall into that bucket. Uh, the language coming out of Los Angeles about Jigard Goff is not good. Which they're is, just being mean at this point, aren't I mean, they? Like, my wow. gosh, come on, the guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the biggest Jared Goff fan, but the guy, you know, you paid him. He he took you to a Super Bowl. You, you know, my, it's my, crazy. My feelings Although, like, would be hurt. Yeah, he wasn't even that bad in the last game. Is the funniest part, right? But, um, but you know, they're not wrong to sort of be dissatisfied with the season. However, and this is a great case study in contracts between them and their division mate, San Francisco. Those are two very different quarterback contracts. And here's where you see the consequences because San Francisco can absolutely easily move on from Jimmy and the Rams can't. So if they're even to bring in competition, it would have to be some like a draft pick or them letting Wolford compete or someone really cheap like a Winston or, um, you know, a Newton or whatever. So a lot of, a lot of chips left to chips fall too. I did shoes, dominoes. What else? What other yeah, metaphor is fall. it? Yeah, that's right. Chip fall. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's about to get crazy. So to bring it all back to your question, Neil, <laughs> I am delighted to be podcasting this <laughs> Not every off season, but this one's going to be a fascinating one, um, beginning with Stafford. But let's take a break and then let's actually talk about some football. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So, Sheila, I was trying to make a case for... Chiefs Bills to be close, or rather to the Bills to pull off the upset, right? Like last week. And all week, yeah. I, my case sort of depended on Patrick Mahomes being 80% or less um, and having a lack of mobility. Two minutes into the game, like the craziest thing is like he wasn't 100%. But I, I feel I feel like two minutes into the game or whenever their first drive was, I can't remember. I I said to myself, uh, yeah, all right, well, that's that's out the window because he was moving absolutely fine. In fact, they were like booting him out and stuff on the first drive. Um, what did you make of Mahomes? Like his obviously his performance is excellent, but how he looked generally in terms of his health and how unstoppable on a scale of 
one through Andy Reid's mask looking like a jockstrap, <laughs> would you say this offense is right now? Uh, I don't even know where to go on that scale, Mina. So I will just say what yeah. I think about Sorry. Uh, uh, Pat- Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I-, I thought that was him at the peak of his powers. You know, every sort of uh, tool that he has was on display. And I was with you. I really thought that, you know, I, I picked the bills. I thought they were going to pull the, I thought they had a chance to pull the upset. You know, it's not necessarily fun to pick the favorite uh, all the time, but I really thought they had a chance and they just couldn't stop him. And it, and it was in so many different ways. Like you mentioned, there was a, the athleticism was crazy. I thought, you know, even if he's 85, 90%, I didn't think he was going to look like that. There was that stretch. I think it was in the second quarter where the uh, bills, I think brought a pressure and Matt Milano, Oh my God. Like by the waist, I I was, I watched this play like eight times today in slow motion. And the funniest thing is like Patrick Mahomes releases the ball with Milano on his waist, gets spun around as a, like a 360. By the time he sees whether it was caught or not, he's done a 360. And it was a huge play in the game. I mean, I think it was a, I think it was a 14, nine game. I want to say at that point, that was a third down where if he doesn't make that play, the bills get the ball back. And then I think it was the very next play AJ Epinesa, you know, gets right after him on play action. He avoids the sack and he finds Tyreek Hill for a 33-yard gain. So, so physically he was ridiculous. Mentally, I mean, he just uh, had a beat on what the the Bills were doing, whether it was their different blitz looks, them trying to disguise coverages, whatever. It was just like everything he does at such an elite level was on full display. The craziest part of all is I. I do think his foot was bothering him. Like as much as I thought, wow, he's moving in the pocket really well. He's dodging free rushers like crazy, you know, and, and as I mentioned, they actually had him booting out here and there. Um, he still looked a little uncomfortable at times, but his arm is so stupid. It doesn't matter. Like his, the fact that he can make literally any throw on earth from any platform at any angle, it just subverts the physics of quarterbacking. So even if he's falling down, he can still hit Travis Kelsey. The, the two plays you mentioned with Milano and um, Epinesa, my colleague Dan Olaski was like, that should have been like negative 30 yards. Yeah. Like I, like, I don't know. And it's so dispiriting as a defense because frankly, I thought the Bills, like they played him the right way. Like in the first half, they basically did the same thing they did the first time around. They didn't blitz a lot. They played a lot of soft zone trying to limit uh, the Chiefs vertically. And Mahomes took what was available to him. You know, he was throwing the ball. He was getting it out really quickly. Um, I think I have his air yards or his average depth of target. It was pretty low in this game. But the problem is the Chiefs have so much speed and also he places the ball so perfectly that a 10 yard ball becomes 15 20 70 in the case of Tyree Kill in an instant and 5.7 yards was his average depth of target which is obviously way lower than Mahomes's average um he also was getting the ball out quicker than any quarterback this weekend but it doesn't matter you know it just doesn't matter because of all the speed they have in that offense i think if there's any it, you know before bucks fans walk off a cliff right now. Um, Something you're going to hear a lot in the coming weeks is losing Eric Fisher, their left tackle, and then they're going to have to do the Jenga with, or it's not really Jenga, when you move guys around again um, on the offensive line. We're going to talk about what the Bucs defense did to Green Bay. That's concerning for sure. But other than that, like uh, other than the fact that they lost Eric Fisher, I can't point to a single negative from what I saw out of Kansas City. Yeah, and, and the numbers back that up. I was looking up at ju- looking up just their sort of EPA uh, offensively for the season to see where that game ranked, and it was their best offensive performance of the entire wow. season. It, and then I looked at the last two years because I was like, well, they keep doing this to teams in the playoffs. Their top three performances of the last two years have all been playoff games. So it's like, you know, there were times in the second half of the season where I, I think people were having that conversation. Are the Chiefs yeah. not not as good? Is is Andy Reid just not pulling out all the tricks because he doesn't need to? And so, like, I, I don't know that that's the case. But you can, if you look at all their playoff performances from the last two years, they're all above even the Chiefs' standards, uh, above average for the Chiefs' standards. And so, like, 
I think they do. I don't know if they save stuff. I mean, it would be interesting to hear Andy Reid talk about that or if they just rise to the occasion and Patrick Mahomes is in full command. And the other thing that he does is like all the stuff Andy Reid used to get made fun of, you know, like the clock management and timeouts. Like yeah. Mahomes has sort of taken care of that for Reid. You know, if you notice like them in a two-minute drill or it's a situation where do they have to call timeout or not, like he's he's just like, I've got this. You know, he doesn't like look, he doesn't need to look at the sideline. He's just like, don't screw me up. I think it was a play last year where like Reed called timeout or something and he didn't, he didn't think it was the right move. And he was just like, what are you doing? You know, I've got this. And I feel like since then they're just like, all right, you know, Patrick Mahomes has this, we don't need to even uh, worry about it. So um, yeah, you, when you're playing them, I, I don't want to say that they're totally unstoppable and you have no chance because what they went eight straight weeks without winning by more yeah. than six points. So teams were competitive, but I think that version that we saw in the AFC championship game, I think that specific version is basically uh, unstoppable. I guess it is. It reminds me a little bit. If I had to say, like, I don't think they were messing around for, you know, the entire regular season and, and hiding all their good plays, but it, uh, watching them, it felt a little bit like watching LeBron in the playoffs where all of a sudden like he turns it up to 100. And I feel like that watching Mahomes, not that he's not necessarily n not trying during the regular right. season, but there was a, ah, it was a play, you talked about how good he was against the Blitz. And the Bills didn't Blitz a lot, obviously. Later in the game, they got frustrated and just started trying stuff, playing a little bit more man and blitzing just because, you know, what what can you do at that point? Um but I remember it, there was um, it was the touchdown to Kelsey where they blitzed him and uh, Kelsey, it's leaks out. Right. And Mahomes, they got to him. They brought him down, but he held on to it just long enough, just long enough for the pressure to get there. Mahomes, Chelsea to leak and for him to get the ball off. And that's like watching. Him, I was like, that's playoff Mahomes. Like he's he's gonna take the hit. He's gonna wait to the last second. He's gonna do whatever it takes in this scenario. And I kind of felt like that. I've felt like that generally watching the Chiefs' offense over the last couple of weeks. Um, not necessarily again that the, it was shenanigans. Just that suddenly everything's turned up to a hundred. I, I think the Bills' best chance in this game was not to to certainly not to deviate from the plan or to stop them on defense. It was to keep up. Um, and I think that for me as a Bills fan, that's probably the more disappointing side of this is seeing the offense look pretty much like their 2019 self. Is that fair? I totally agree. I mean, you know, if you, if they would have lost this game, like 41 to 31 or something like that, yeah. but the offense was playing well, then I think you could say, you know what, Patrick Mahomes make, you know, and Andy Reid, they make people look stupid all the time. No big deal. But if I'm a Bills fans, I, I, fan, I mean, I think there's a couple things that would trouble me. And the first one is what you just said, the offense. I mean, one touchdown on your first eight possessions, and that came off a muffed punt. Like, you have no chance. I mean, you really have no chance against the Chiefs if you do that. And it wasn't just one game. I mean, if you look at their three-game uh, sample here in the playoffs and just look at, like, the you know EPA and the advanced stats, they it, it kind of translates to, like, the 16th best offense in the NFL. And so it wasn't the offense that we all watched in, uh, you know, the last 11, 12, 13 weeks where I, I watched it at times and thought they're a juggernaut. Like they really have an opportunity to uh, come out of the AFC and make it to the Super Bowl. And I, I think they were rattled. You know, it, there were times where, you know, Singletary drops that ball. Uh, Josh Allen's accuracy was not very good. They had protection issues. And the blitz thing you mentioned, it, it really, it really stands out in comparison to how the Bills handled the blitz because, Mahomes knew what was coming. His internal clock was great. He knew how to uh, avoid the pressure and buy a second. And Josh Allen and the Bills offense, it felt like they were just confused all game long when the Chiefs were sending all these different looks uh, their way. So, um, you know, it, it's tough because you don't want to be like, all right, you know, the, the previous 10, 11 weeks didn't matter. These, these three games, the offense didn't look good. I'm sure it's somewhere in between. But I think if you're the Bills, you do have to look at it and say, what happened to us in the playoffs where we certainly were not playing? playing our best in those three games. Well, it was interesting because I'm sure you did the same thing I did, which is I went back and watched game one, right? And thought, okay, how is this going to be different this time around? And I said, well, I figured the Bills defense will probably play Mahomes pretty similarly, and they did. I did not. I, I So in the first game, the Chiefs defense blitzed the hell out of um, Josh Allen and played a lot of man, did, you know, did, did the things that they do. And since then, between 
week six when they played, I think it was week six, and the playoffs, Mahomes became this man-beating, blitz-beating Terminator. So I thought, okay, you know, I don't know if they're going to play it fast and loose or, or be as aggressive against Allen. And did I say Allen? Allen's a Terminator. So, but they're both man-beating Terminators. But <laughs> in any case, I was actually kind of surprised the Chiefs came out with a pretty similar plan. You know, I'd say there, there are some variations in terms of the use of disguise and how they use the honey badger, but they certainly didn't sit back and give Allen the same treatment that Mahomes got. And shoot, it worked. I mean, he just looked like his weeks the same way he did in week six. I mean, he averaged negative 0.13 expected points added per attempt against man defense. Josh Allen's statistics against man defense this year are insane outside of these two games. Um, The Chiefs played a ton ton of cover zero and cover one. And um, they, I mean, some of it, I think you can attribute to Allen looked confused um, by the looks they were showing in pre and post snap, but the Chiefs secondary just like were as sticky as hell. That's gross, Mina. But they were. I mean, uh, you know, and it's not just Matthew. Like I, today, I, I said this on live. Like Juan Thornhill. Who who the hell yes. was this guy? I mean, all see. I I know he is, but all season coming back from the injury, he kind of stunk. Okay, and not that hmm, I don't like saying that he was not his old self. I liked him so much as a rookie, and then. He had the he was the best player on the field half the time. I mean, holy smokes. And so, like, as much as we talk about Chris Jones and Frank Clark, I thought the Chiefs secondary was incredible in this game. Absolutely. Yeah. Thornhill just, you know, preparing for the uh for preparing for this podcast was like the first guy I wrote down for the Chiefs defense. He was incredible. I mean, he was everywhere. Uh, and I think just the way they use their safeties and just the different things that Spagnolo does, like you can't get a handle on it. You know, they were they played cover, you know, you mentioned cover zero, cover one, they did that, and then there are snaps where they're just sitting back in cover two and the safeties yeah. are really deep. And then there are other snaps where it looks like the safeties are gonna be deep and there's like a cross and they just fire downhill and all of a sudden Allen is holding on to the ball and, and so they schemed up things like they're willing to do everything they had that the, the one slot blitz where uh, Legereus Sneed got him they had Derek Nadi, 312 pounds is dropping into coverage where I'm always like you know when a, when a defensive coordinator does it I'm like dude come on you know you're trying to get cute and like show off here but uh you know it worked there they they certainly yeah. confused uh Allen and got to him with the sack and uh they did a great job I think Allen like when he's beaten the blitz and you were right I mean he was crushing blitz he was crushing man coverage a lot of times he would ma- even if there was a free rusher he would make that guy miss and then do something but Legereus Sneed, Tyron Matthew, you know, the, he, he uh, caused that intentional grounding. Like they were there, they got there and they finished. They ended the play. It wasn't like they were just going to get fooled by a pump fake and let him buy time. You know, Bashad Breeland, right, causes the uh, interception. So uh, their, their defensive backs definitely played well. And uh, I was just really impressed by their game plan, how aggressive they were willing to be at times, how much they mixed things up. Uh, you could tell they just kind of won that matchup. Uh, whether it's Spagnolo against Dayball or however you want to uh, term it, they, they won that matchup for sure. Yeah, it's because this Super Bowl is a sneaky great defensive coordinator matchup. We're going to yes. talk about Bucks in a second, but Bowles versus Spags, man. I mean, the old dudes, you know? How about it? Uh, I mean, they're not that old, but they're not like the hot young kids on the black, you know, um, coaching candidate types. Um, but they... Just on a game plan basis, both were incredibly good this weekend. I thought, and um, yeah. So let's let's wrap before this game by talking about the Bills because we're going to talk about the Chiefs next week, obviously, and in that game and that matchup. Um, so, like, look, you're coming off of this incredibly successful season. You get to keep your offensive coordinator, which nobody thought would happen, but it's this disappointing end where Josh Allen sort of reverts in some ways to you know the prior season version of himself, I guess. Um, what do you think Buffalo, do you think there's anything they need to do or anything they need to change going forward? I, I, sh- I will add, by the way, they're keeping Dayball. They might not keep Leslie Frazier, who is apparently right. a hot co- candidate in Houston. But putting a pin in that, like a Buffalo season, undeniably a, a success. What What is your on your offseason to-do list for them? 
Yeah, I think they figured out the hard part and, you know, you would hope that carries over where they did have a top five offense for the entire season. And I love the way they built it and they have so many uh, weapons. So I think they need to figure out the offensive line. They've got a couple offensive linemen who are uh, free agents. They've got to figure that out uh, defensively. You know, I think they can definitely add some talent uh, up front with their pass rush. We're on, on those plays where they're not going to be blitzing a lot or those games where they're not going to be blitzing a lot. They can get home. And then I think McDermott, you know, definitely has to look at his approach in this game. That, that to me was one of the most disappointing aspects of uh, the loss for them because they've been really good within game management and mm-hmm. being aggressive and that type of thing. And then you get in a big spot like this and you're kicking the field goal early on fourth and three which which that one I can sort of understand but man when they kick that field goal on fourth and goal from the two before halftime I think everyone was like this game's over like we've been watching Mahomes has been carving you guys up and so uh you know I think foundationally they are sort of analytically sound and I know they listen to some of that stuff and like I said their decision making was good for a while but uh they've got to revisit why they sort of reverted or got conservative in that spot. But for personnel wise, I think mostly it's kind of the front seven uh, on defense, but I, I think they should still have a very good team next year. So I'm trying not to be a parody of myself and complain about the field goals too much. Cause I've already done enough of that. But you know, I, I tweeted this, the McDermott field goals were worse than the LaFleur one, which at least was defensible. Um, I don't think the McDermott ones were defensible at all. And he said today something about boosting morale going into halftime, getting points. You you know what boosts morale? Touchdowns, okay? And not losing to Patrick Mahomes. Um, it is funny, Sheila, like this is a larger conversation, how all these young coaches just are turtling up in the playoffs. Vrabel, McDermott, I guess LaFleur to some degree. Then you got these old dudes like Reed and Arians who just are, they have no Fs to give anymore, I guess. That's it. I don't know. It's weird. Um it's a bummer, man, though. Like that, I was, I too was bummed by that. Um, I do, I, I want to say one thing about the Bills offseason, though. The, the other thing McDermott said, I think it was him, maybe it was Dable, I think it was, or Bean, or I don't know, somebody in the organization said, we need to improve our running game. And of course, this instigated round 3,456 of running back value, whatever, on Twitter. But they do need to improve their run game. And I thought that really jumped out in this game in particular, but throughout the postseason, um, improving your run game doesn't mean, you know, pounding the rock on first down. It means having an efficient rushing attack and the bills just didn't. And I think it really hurt them, especially when you saw this kind of jumpiness from Josh Allen and the ability of the chiefs, um, you know, to have a ton of success getting pressure on obvious passing downs and early downs as well. So, I I think that is something they need to fix because I think losing Zach Moss was a sneaky, impactful injury. Um, And I don't know, Singletary has been sort of underwhelming there. So that would put that on the to-do list. Yeah, I feel like they can't figure out what they want to do with the run game because they have this quarterback who you absolutely could have a quarterback inclusive run game, but he's not he's not like, you know, Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray where they're really smart and they get get down and they, you know, they they protect themselves and they don't fumble. Like when he gets going, it's like, all right, you know, anything can happen right now. Um, So I think they have to decide whether they want him to be a part of that, like in the regular season or just in high leverage situations or what they want to do and then sort of uh, sort of shape it from there. They also need to tell him stop running backwards. Josh, backwards is not the way you want to go. The super sacks. I mean, yeah. Josh Allen, incredible season, unprecedented improvement. I have taken many L's, but the sacks, like the crazy 25-yard sacks, even the ref and the one before the fight broke out, which like we have so much to talk about, we can't even break down, even though it's like hilarious to me. Um, the ref was like, maybe it was the umpire. He was just like, whoa, I, you were not supposed to be back here. I was just chilling. I thought the game was over. So anyways, stop stop taking super sacks. All right. And I, will, I promise to never say the word super sacks again. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about the other championship game, which was, I think, a little bit more exciting and um, some takeaways from that. Stephen A. Smith goes beyond the headlines to unlock a unique world of hot takes, one-of-a-kind segments, and can't-miss interviews. Stream all of this and more on his new show, Stephen A.'s World, exclusively on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Wow! 
Shale, since we already touched on this, I might as well start here with you. On a scale of one through Andy Reid's face shield, how angry are you at Matt, Matt LaFleur for kicking the field goal at the end? And how mad should people be? I think they should be very upset. I was very upset. I did not even think it it was a possibility. And what I think is sort of the most interesting part of this conversation, well, two things I would say. One is that the Packers were the most aggressive team on fourth down the entire season. And so the game's on the line, the season's on the line. You have an MVP quarterback, an all-pro wide receiver, the most efficient offense in the NFL. And that's the time where you choose to not be who you've been all year and get conservative and kick the field goal. So that that was like my initial watching it reaction to it. But a couple of days later, though, what what I'm thinking, you know, we I think you've probably looked at all these models, right, mm-hmm. with the win probabilities, and a lot of them say uh, it was pretty close, and you know, it wasn't a no brainer. But talking to some people, you know, who are smarter than me, they've said don't necessarily in that spot just look at the change in win probability because in that spot there's two minutes left, and so you're not going to have an opportunity to grab like a big chunk of win probability later. It's not like it's happening in the second quarter. And so basically what they said is all you want to look in at that spot is what gives you the biggest upside. And so if you look at like Ben Baldwin, uh, you know, his fourth down bot on Twitter, if you score the touchdown there, the win probability swings to 24%. Whereas if you kick the field goal, it swings to 9%. Now, are you more likely to make the field goal than the touchdown? Yeah, of course. But like that doesn't matter at that point. You've got to like do whatever you can to maximize your chances of winning the game. I mean, that discrepancy in win probability should not be as important as just what gives you the most upside. And so um, in that spot, I feel like even though if you're just looking at what the change was and what the models say, you have to just look at what was the thing that gave you the biggest upside. And uh, man, to have your season end with Aaron Rodgers on the sideline in that spot, if I'm a Packers fan, that that is just such a tough, tough loss to handle. Yeah, I feel like Matt LaFleur should have gone for it just so that Aaron Rodgers couldn't shade him for the rest of eternity. Just, you know, roll with it. Um, So, okay, a lot to unpack here. The reason why the models... So so ESPN's model favored going for it, I want to say that. But it wasn't dramatic, which I think surprised people. And the reason why it wasn't dramatic, because if you give the field goal and you stop the Bucks, you can then win the game, right? Whereas if you go for it, um, then you're, you're, you're tying the game potentially, if you get the eight points, the Packers were down eight points. Um, And then you got to get another stop, yada, yada. Um, Also, it's fourth and eight, which is very different from fourth and two, fourth and three or whatever. I think that there was a lot playing into the decision. I think the fact that, so the Packers had the most, I think the best red zone offense, the second best to Tennessee in goal-to-go drives all season. Um a stat that blew my mind. So they were Rogers was 17 for 19 targeting Devonte Adams um, in the red zone all season. In this game, he was one for six. Oh my god, it felt like <laughs> uh, it too. Yeah. I know. So I I really think that kind of weighed in on it. Also, the fact that their tackles and we'll talk about this in a second were getting their asses kicked um, all game. You know, Rogers said afterwards, as part of the aforementioned shade, well, I thought we might use all downs, but that didn't make sense because if you thought you'd use all downs, you should have run for it. Even if you get caught, then you're in fourth and short. So I don't know if I buy that. Um, I think you go for it because, you know, then even if you're stopped, you can still get the stop and try to tie it. And again, you have this incredible buzzsaw offense. But it's crazy. Like we spent so much more energy talking about that decision, which I actually think was defensible. Like Mike Pettin arguably lost in the game. Oh my gosh. So that was the worst coaching decision. Forget McDermott, forget LaFleur, anything of the weekend. Um, and from the Packers perspective, we'll talk about the Bucks in a bit. Like the fact that the Packers lost an offense. Look, you're, you lost the best laugh tackle in football last week. You didn't feel it. Cause Aaron Donald was, you know, has a shell of himself. You felt it against Tampa. It's fine. Like, I don't really, I do think Green Bay probably should have run the ball more. And I have some quibbles with some of the decisions and Rogers made a few mistakes, but you're not that angry about that. The defense, which was the weakness of this team, arguably did enough or Alexander did enough, but your coach is kind of, he screwed you. Mike Penton, 
Look, putting them in single high at the end of that half was indefensible. It's, I, I mean, I am still like, my mind is boggled by the fact that that happened, Shield. Sorry. Uh, uh, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, I don't understand it. I, I when I rewatched this game, I just thought, uh, I actually thought Rodgers played better yeah. than I initially gave him credit for. And I thought that like everyone around him let him down in, in like a huge way, especially, and we'll talk about the Bucks, like you said, but when you compare it to sort of how, how Brady was getting helped by a lot of people around him, but the Mike Penton thing, I don't understand how, coaches are you know sleeping in their offices and never seeing their families <laughs> and like every waking hour where you're not watching if you're not watching film you're you know you're you're falling behind and then like a situation like this where you know a, a 12 year old playing Madden or whatever can figure out what coverage to call I I mean I don't single high man coverage in that spot, there's Insane. six seconds left. The Bucks said they they were just basically going for a hail mary, and and you're playing with a single high. And then I think the other guy was like a robber, which is generally you know he's going to take away routes in the middle Dude, of the field. He like, was doing nothing. He was. <laughs> yeah. just, it was Savage, right? Who you're talking yes, about? Yes, I think so. Yeah. When you watch it, the all twenty, it's like watching him. It's like the you hear the Curb Your Enthusiasm music playing. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought about that actually when I was watching. I mean, the same play, but they're in Max Protect. So Gronkowski and Fournette are into block. Two Packers defenders who have them in man coverage are just standing there. You're just wasting them. They're literally doing nothing, standing there by the line of, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage. Kevin King, who's having a nightmarish half, is one on one against Scotty Miller. I mean, you know, your coach costs you in a huge way, and it's it's like I'm not going to say that the Packers would have won that game if they stopped them there, but it was such a huge sequence there from like 38 seconds left in the first half where you thought. The you know the Packers might score here. They've got a first down to basically you know two minutes gone in the third quarter. I think in it was like a under two minutes in in the on the game clock where the Buccaneers outscored them you know fourteen nothing or eighteen nothing or whatever it was. And uh, that yeah, I agree with you. That that was like just the most mind boggling play of the entire weekend. Was that the Aikman game or was it Romo who was calling that game? Uh, that was Aikman, I think. That was Aikman. Yeah, okay. Romo did so the second one. The only possible explanation is that Mike Pettin, much like Aikman, saw Scotty Miller and was like, oh, he's slow. Or Didn't Aikman compare him to Julian Element? Not, right. Element's not yeah. slow, but it's like, you know, uh, it's quite obvious why. And that's the only possible explanation I, I can think that um, maybe Mike Pettin had never seen Scotty Miller before or was unaware of his existence. I don't know. It's crazy. Um you you said something that I want to hit on, which is that Rodgers played well. Um, Rodgers played better than Brady, candidly. He just had a much more d- adverse situation. Uh, he was pressured on 40% of his dropbacks, which, um, you know, is a, is a day at the office for, like, Sean Watson and Russell Wilson, but Rodgers was amongst the least pressured quarterbacks like Brady in football this year. The offensive line, it just it hit hard. It hit at the wrong time. I mean, the tackles were just getting absolutely brutalized all game. Billy Turner and Rick Ragnar. And if I had one criticism of LaFleur, like I said, I do think that you know they were trying to move him around a little bit, um, but waited a long time to get help for uh, Wagner on the right side. It was just oh, it was a nightmare and. it's just the contrast you mentioned this between what he was dealing with and what Brady was dealing with was it's dramatic. Um, And so like, it's one of those games where I think Brady finished with a better QBR and I think on an EPA per play basis, because he had all those deep balls in the first half, you know, they both had interceptions, but Brady's were kind of more arm punty outcome wise, but watching it, when you consider the context, Brady just had it so much easier in this game. Yeah, I mean, that that really stood out to me. I mean, Rodgers, you know, uh, I'm not going to rip Devontae Adams because, you know, he's been incredible all year and he's a, he's a great player and he's saved them. But, you know, he drops a touchdown. St. Brown drops a uh, two-point conversion. The offensive tackles are getting smoked all game long. Mike Pettin calls this insane coverage at the end of the first half. Matt LaFleur turtles up with the game on the line. Like, I'm just making notes of all this and going like, what were they doing? Oh my gosh, what were they doing to him? And so, no. Uh, 
um, it, it really felt like a scenario where if a few, you know, three plays offensively, like went a different way for Rodgers, his numbers would have looked a lot different. Even the interception he threw, I mean, I'll, I'll give Murphy Bunting made a fantastic uh, play there. Um, but, you know, you, you could certainly make a case that um, Lazard kind of, if he, if he can fight him off and at least force an incompletion, there was, a, I think, another third down where Lazard wanted a flag. But uh, he had a chance to make the reception there. And so there were all these different things, I feel like, that did not go Rodgers' way, which um, I don't know, maybe that why was why he was in, in his feelings or, or getting emotional after the game and setting the internet on fire with some of his comments. But yeah, I did not think that he, he played a bad game given all those circumstances. The future is a beautiful mystery. Phrasing, uh, I love him. He's here to give us content. You really Thank you, Aaron. And we then today it. he was like, who, you know, the the hot dog meme from, I think you should leave that we're all trying to find the guy who did this. I feel like that, that was Rogers today on the Pat McAfee show being like, I don't know why this is a talking point. It must be a slow week. It's like dog. Um, the, the Brady interceptions one was his, the first one to Evans was high, his fault. Mike Evans is like 20 feet tall. And that was like 25 feet. Uh, the second one was the Amos pick, Amos, Amos, Adrian Amos. Yes. Um, that was, I'd say, on Brady. It wasn't as egregious, but he did throw into double coverage downfield, and he wasn't really under pressure. And then the third one wasn't his fault at all. That was where, I think it was Fournette failed to <laughs> do anything, really. Um, but for the most part, you know, it, I mean, Brady was really good in the first half, like, through some just absolutely gorgeous pearls. And then in the second half, um... The Bucks defense, people got mad at me for saying this yesterday. The Bucks defense won them the game in the second half. They were really good. So, I yeah. mean, that's kind of the team, right? Like, they're crazy. I don't know. They make big plays. They make mis- like, the Bucks are not consistent on a down-to-down or drive-to-drive basis, but Brady will throw two pearls on third down, and Shaq and JPP will force two interceptions, and then that's ball game. Yes, there's there, you know, I think football outsiders has them as the most high variance team and it's felt like that all season long and their defense in high leverage moments was incredible in this game. I mean, JPP and Shaq Barrett were fantastic, right? They have uh, all their sacks, I think, came without blitzing, by the way. So that, you know, when we're spinning this ahead to yes. the Chiefs, I, I thought that was pretty interesting that all their sacks came on four man rushes. I thought that Jordan Whitehead play was like one of my favorite plays of the weekend where he just came down, fired downhill and forced the Aaron Jones fumble at the start of the third quarter. That was an incredible play because that's third down. Devin White got lost in coverage and Whitehead just read it and like laid the wood and turnover touchdown. And all of a sudden it felt like the game was getting out of hand. So that we mentioned the Murphy bunting interception. And so they had guys who just came up time after time. Todd Bowles, I thought called a fantastic game where they were doubling Devonte Adams a lot on uh, third down or, or in high leverage situations. And I feel like I've said high leverage uh, 75 <laughs> times during this podcast. I'm not, everything's yeah. high leverage. Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not winning a bet there, but Bowles was great. And so, um, and even offensively, you know, that Chris Godwin, 52 yard catch where he just like out muscles savage that that was a big play that was a third down where if they have to punt there then the Packers are getting the ball back and they scheme stuff up you know the screen to Gronkowski uh, the screen to Godwin and so I just thought they did a lot of uh, good things and, and obviously Brady um, you know aside from those interceptions certainly played well also. Yeah, the screen to, God, or to Gronk was a, a truly sick play, too, uh, where they yes. confused them with the, it was like a jet sweep. I can't remember, it was a Godwin or Brown, or Brown didn't play, so I guess it was Godwin. Um, yeah, they had them fooled. And then, yep, I, I, Gronk, good things happened, man, in the playoffs with Gronk. Um, and then the Godwin catch is a good example of why uh, you shouldn't just compare quarterbacks with EPA for like, Right. It's not a good throw. Uh, White has a name to keep an eye on. So he went out of the game, hurt his shoulder, I believe, in his day-to-day. And of course, I think Anton Winfield will come back. It's all the more impressive that they did this with backup safeties in the game. Um, But you made a point, and this is something that really jumped out on my rewatch and something that I think as we start looking to the Super Bowl is going to be impactful, which is, of course, the four-man rush. Uh, You know, JPP and... um, God. My brain is Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett feet yeah. on the outsides, but Rogers could not step up in the pocket because uh, Sue, Vea, and Steve McClendon too were just plugging that thing up. Vea, like he he's clearly not a hundred percent, but 
find you a 350 pound pound <laughs> man who can break his ankle and come back and look like that. I mean, good heavens. Uh, and that's of course going to be just so important. The ability to get a four man rush, actually ESPN's pass rush win rate has their two best games with a standard pass rush uh, of the season, Tampa Bay. It's the last two games they've played. So mm. Picking at the right time, if you will. And um, obviously, that's going to be really, really important against Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm like early on, I'm leading Chiefs still. But the Bucks really impressed me in this game, particularly the, particularly the defense. And they're going to need every bit of that uh, in this game. But I'm pretty excited. So, yeah. I, so let's wrap up the, again with the losing team, Green Bay. Despite all the beautiful mystery and uncertainty, I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers is going to be a Green Bay Packer uh, next to her. What do you think, like, what should be the focus of their offseason? I mean, I guess they have to decide on Mike Pettin. You know, I don't know. I know this was a conversation last offseason after they lost to the 49ers. They were able to produce three interceptions here in the second half, so they kept the team in it. And certainly you're not going to get rid of a guy because of one call, or at least I wouldn't think you would. But, I mean, they weren't a great defense, you know, the regular season. They were, what, mediocre to below average by every statistical metric. And I kind of like their talent, you know. I think they've added players. They've got a great corner in Alexander. They've got a, a pass rusher in Zadarius Smith, who's really good. They've got good safeties. And so it's always felt to me like they haven't maximized their talent on that side of the ball. So I don't know if that's making schematic changes, you know, maybe some tweaks personnel wise or what, but uh, I do think they have to certainly figure that out. And offensively, I mean, if you can add, I feel like the the Chiefs show us that when you can add weapons, just add weapons. Don't worry. It'll pay off in the long run when like Nicole Hardman, no one can catch him on a 50 yard run or whatever it was like, don't worry, just keep adding players. So I think they should continue to do that. Uh, they've got to get running back figured out. I guess Aaron Jones is a free agent and their offensive line, but I mean, they've been so good. They, when you had, when you come off a season where you've had the most efficient offense in the NFL, like you have figured out the hardest part about, you know, building a team with sustained success. So they've got that figured out. Rodgers was incredible. He was good in that scheme. And so, um, I mean, they've been, what, 26 and six the last two regular seasons. Really, so, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of just like, you know, I feel like if they played this game 10 times, they win at least half of them. I thought this was a game where some things didn't go their way. That's not going to make them feel better, but that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I mean, if David Bakhtiari plays, they probably win. Right. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah. guess what? Losing the best left tackle in the NFL hurts you in the playoffs. I It's shocking, I know. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it, it's all about defense for me. You know, probably Kevin King will probably walk, so they're going to um, maybe look to upgrade their linebacker coaching, I think, and then just continuing to add weapons. So, chin up, Packers fans. I don't think Aaron's going anywhere. Um, as always... Let's wrap up with a few questions for our guest. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Dinks and Dunks is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Download the DraftKings app today and use code MINA to get in on all of the action. Sheil, I can't let you go without asking you first about the team that you cover, Philadelphia. Do you think – this is one of my five questions – or four, because Lenny gets the fifth one. Do you think Jalen Hurts will actually get a shot at starting next year? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I have. Uh, I, I wish I had a strong take here. I, I have no idea. It doesn't lend itself should. to very good. Uh, okay. Should he get a shot? Let me rephrase that. He should get a shot. Yeah. I mean, if they're sticking with Wentz and Hurts, I, I don't see how you just hand the job over to Wentz, given how last season played out. And so I think it's going to be a, a big test for the first time head coach, Nick Sirianni, right away, he's going to be asked about it. And it's like, are you going to say Wentz is my guy? Are you going to say the best player will play? Are they going to trade Wentz? Are they going to draft a quarterback? It's like everything is in play. But uh, I would strongly disagree with them just saying, let's make this offseason all about uh, getting Wentz back on track, handing him the keys and making this his team, because I don't think that would sit well uh, in the locker room. And I don't, I don't think that would be fair to the players. He should just say it's a beautiful mystery. That seems to be the <laughs> go-to go. avoidance answer these days. Um, for my second question, let's stay in the division. What would you do, assuming you can't get Stafford, 
what would you do if you're Washington? If I'm Washington, who would I go after? Uh, I, I would take a shot on a another core. I'm trying to think of which quarterback. We're assuming Watson is staying put. That's the obvious answer. Um, Miami. I, yeah, uh, I don't know. I would take a shot on like a maybe a Sam Darnold. I I could see. You know, you, you see how he looks for a year and then make a longer term decision. I think they if they're not going to get the home run guy, then they've got to take a bunch of swings. So. Um, Cam Newton's got to land somewhere. You know, I, I don't know if Ron Rivera uh, and Scott Turner want to reunite with Cam Newton, but um, I, I think if I were them, I would take a bunch of swings. So I would get Darnold or Cam or somebody like that and then also draft somebody and hope that one of these options pans out. I like that. Darnold is an interesting fit there. All right, question three. Which of the playoff teams do you think is most likely to take a step backwards next year? Hmm. Take, I'm, I'm trying to remember all the playoff teams. Let's say, okay, it's not not the Bills, I wouldn't say, not the Ravens, not the Browns, Titans, Cold. This is this is great pod. This is great for your uh, audience here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, 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 I mean, this is random. I'm hitting you out of nowhere. Oh, how about the how about the Bears? I mean, you know, I, I don't oh, know how yeah. how big of a. St- Actually, you know what? That's not that's not a good answer. Let me let me take it back. Oh, how no, about that's a good answer? How about the New Orleans Saints? Oh, that, I don't know. What, no, that's the correct yeah. answer. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I didn't. They've got to get that, rid yeah. of like half their roster because yeah. of their cap situation, and that we don't know what they're doing at quarterback. So the New Orleans Saints. That's a good one. It's going to be like the garage sale over there. Um, okay, I can't let you go without getting a Super Bowl prediction. Score and winner, please. Oh my gosh! Already. I know. Early. You can. You, you, don't, have, you don't have to stand by it. You All can, right. I'm. I'm going to change mine like a hundred times. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I think the line is three. My initial reaction is to say that oh. they're go- going to uh, to cover, and so I I will say Chiefs thirty one, Tampa twenty seven. I feel like I gave that exact score earlier today. It's so lame with like the common numbers. I should have gone like, you know, 30, 35 to yeah, 26 or something. But uh, is, I feel like that's going to widen between now and the Super Bowl. Three seems yeah. tight. Interesting. All right. Um, so last question is always from Lenny, my co-host. Um, Sheil, Lenny knows that you started covering the Seahawks in 2015. Is that right? That's what Lenny says. Uh, 2015. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. He wants to know if you accept responsibility for ruining the team. Well, you know, people think I was there when they got to the Super Bowl, but I joined after they got, so I got there when it was just like full drama mode. Uh, but I will accept responsibility. Yeah, you know, they've, they haven't won a lot of playoff games uh, since I left. So hopefully when I, you know, try to get in touch with people over there, they'll show me the proper respect <laughs> and know the kind of power that I actually have. 